When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to the most electrifying podcast in sports today, the best in the world with Richard Parr. Is it the most electrifying? Well, I guess that's up for you to decide, but we've got an electrifying guest for you coming up on today's podcast, episode 106 with Steve LeBou. And what is amazing about Steve is that he dives from 27 metres high. Yes, he is a cliff diving competitor, the high diving world champion from the 2017 World Aquatics Championships in Budapest. Only three men have ever won gold in that discipline and Steve is one of them and the reigning champion. He is my guest on this week's Best in the World with Richard Barr. Really good conversation with the American Talks, a whole wide range of topics. He's really good on the level of fear that is needed to compete in cliff diving, in high diving. You don't want to miss that part of the conversation. There's a lot that we can take out from it that we can use in our everyday lives. Listen to that conversation with Steve Labou. He talks about his life and career before he became a cliff diver, where he was a standard platform diver, and then he worked on cruise ships. He lived in China. We cover all of those things with Steve. He also talks about how his life has now changed, that he's become a father. And we, of course, talk about the time when he hit his head on the platform and then landed in the water 27 metres below. Pretty scary moment for Steve. We talk about all of that on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr with Steve LeBou. Before we get to that interview, I want to say about Patreon. Patreon is the place where you can support us. We've got a page called patreon.com forward slash best in the world. It's a crowdfunding site where you can help support our show on a regular monthly basis from as low as, I believe, $5. And there's various different tiers going up from up to $5, 10 I think it's $25, $50. The more you help support us, the more great guests we can continue to get on the program and learn from. So that's patreon.com forward slash best in the world well we certainly will learn a lot from steve labou he is the high diving world champion and he's up next on the best in the world the best in the world podcast with richard parr
Stephen Lebu, high diving world champion. Welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr. Delighted to get the chance to speak to you. It's just a few months ago that you became the world champion in Budapest. Have you got used to that yet? Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm definitely excited to, to be part of the show and, and share my story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's sunken in for sure at, at this point. Um, we have a pretty long season in the summer with, with high diving and cliff diving. Um, and anytime you do really well, it, it sort of stands out in your mind. So that competition, obviously, leaving there, it took a while for it to kind of hit home. And then maybe I remember like a week or two later, I was like, I called my mom. I was like, I'm on a trip. So uh, <laughs> kind of took some time to, to sink in. But yeah, definitely really, really happy with that one. What else have you looked back on your career and had a similar sensation with then, Stephen? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, well, you know, I, I started cliff diving in 2011 with Red Bull. There's a whole World Series that they do. Um, and, you know, it's not until 2013 that FINA, the, the governing body for aquatics in the Olympics, have introduced the sport of high diving into their, you know, their world championship season. So it's still relatively new as a sport in the mainstream. Um, but Red Bull has been doing competitions for a really long time. And um, I had my first competition in 2012 after only competing for a year. So um, to become one of the first guys to win outside of the normal, you know, guys that were sort of cleaning up the sport at the time was, was a really big accomplishment and something I hold um, very close to my heart. Mm, yeah, an in- incredible achievement. And I'd like to talk a little bit more uh, in particular about that day and everything about it a little bit later in the program. But I, I think it would be quite nice to just get a little bit of a- an understanding a- a- about you, Stephen. Why don't you just tell us a, a little bit about your childhood growing up and, and where the initial interest in, in diving uh, began? Sure. So I grew up in Ewing, New Jersey, um, on the east coast of the U.S., and I remember 
trying sports as a kid. Um, I think a lot of parents do that. You know, they have their kids sort of try as many sports as possible and, and sort of see what sticks. Um, and I remember particularly disliking baseball and soccer. Um, and I just was not a huge fan of a lot of these team sports that a lot of the other kids were doing. And I remember I was, I went to like a learn to swim program at the age of seven. And at the end, they let you jump off the diving board. It's kind of your reward for, for being good in class. And I remember thinking, man, this is really fun. And then I saw the diving team come in right after that. And I remember looking at my dad and saying, like, this is what I want to do. And that was it. Like, diving stuck. Seven and I had been competing on, a, like, an outside junior Olympic team, just sort of training. Um, I mean, that was my sport all year round. It was outside of school. But, um, yeah, that was my sport from a very, very early age. So a real commitment. Uh, I know you you went as far as uh, Olympic trials for 2004. As you were growing up, uh, how much time and effort would you have to put in? Because obviously you've got school and other commitments that every child has. Uh, What are we talking about in a day? Are you getting up early? Are you going straight to the pool after school or are you doing both? Well, it's it's quite interesting, actually. Um, and, And as a sport, it's all year round. Um, growing up, especially, I think you get maybe three or four weeks off at the end of summer, maybe. Um, but it's, it's really an all year round commitment. And so, I mean, I can't count the times I've said to my friends, like, Oh, sorry guys, I have dad in practice. Like I can't join you. You know, I would go school from, you know, what the, the full school day and then come home, drop my bags, go to diving for three, three and a half hours, come back, scarf some dinner, try to get some homework done. And it was sort of a wake up repeat thing five days a week. Um, six you know we'd have some practice on Saturdays as well so definitely a huge commitment at a, at a very early age mm. uh, and then you, as I mentioned you you got as far as the uh the the 2004 Olympic trials Where, when did you almost step away from uh the the world of diving competitively I went to university at Purdue. Um, I went to Olympic trials in 2004, as you mentioned. Um, and even at that time, I was really, really, I was happy with competing, but I was still sort of looking past that. I think after 2004, I had a very realist notion that like, okay, I'm not quite Olympic material. Um, the sport brought me very far. It got me a scholarship to university, which, you know, I was super excited about, but you sort of have that moment where you go like, crap, I'm not, you know, I'm not Olympic material. Um, so I, I really enjoyed competing the next few years after that. It was sort of, you know, I didn't have that huge Olympic drive, but I still was very motivated to do well, obviously for the university and for myself. Um, and then after I was done competing in college, I was really burnt out at that point. And I, I finished competing and I started doing, um, sort of the entertainment side of diving, you know, like you would see in a, an amusement park or you see these high dive setups or, um, things like that. And I was really interested in, in that aspect where you weren't being judged. Um, you know, I was able to just do what I love and what came naturally, you know, without that pressure of being judged. Fantastic. So you mentioned the entertainment there. What type of places were you diving at? Well, um, so my first show was at a um, an amusement park, Six Flags Great Adventure. And they have, they have tanks and um, a high dive ladder set up and you would basically just put on a diving show for crowds of people. Oh, cool. Um, so I, di- I did that there. I did it um, at a place called Indiana Beach near, you know, where I went to university at Purdue. Um, I worked on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship for 10 months. They had a show, like an entertainment show for all the guests on the cruise ship that included a high dive. I worked in China for a year doing 
live action stunt shows and sort of fine tuning some of those high diving skills and, and other stunt action skills. So um, just sort of performing all around and you learn a ton of things and, and eventually, you know, high diving was one of those things. Wow. How was China for a year? How, how did you cope with the, the culture, the food, the people? How was all of that for you? Man, I thought it was fantastic. I had a really great time and a, a really positive experience in China. Um, I think, you know, it's it's a massive country and it, it gets a bad rep sometimes, like some of those bigger cities with smog and, and pollution and things like that. But there are some absolutely gorgeous parts of China. And I was fortunate enough to live in one of them um, for a year. And I, I mean, it was great. I think if you just immerse yourself in a culture and really try hard, I think, you know, you can sort of enjoy it and kind of even like the locals sort of look at you and they go like, all right, man, at least he's trying. Like, we'll give him <laughs> some help. But man, I had an absolute blast in China. Oh, amazing. And uh, working on a cruise, uh, that, that sounds pretty fun. Is it as fun as it sounds? It, you know what it is, it's absolutely <laughs> as fun as it sounds. Um, it's, it's very different. I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of rules that crew have to abide by in terms of, you know, guest interaction and where we're allowed to be at certain times. Uh, but it was really exciting. I think, you know, you, you surround yourself with other performers, people that are very passionate about what they do and you sort of feed off of that. So it's a pretty positive environment in terms of, of learning and like honing your skills. Um, and I mean, you get to, you get paid doing what you love so it really is a blast oh that's fantastic um we you mentioned earlier about trying different sports and you, you didn't really like baseball or soccer one of the things i noted here is that you are still pretty good at snowboarding and skateboarding is that right that is right yeah i i i don't know what it was it's, it's not that i'm interested or not interested in team sports i I found the value of team sports. I thought very interesting and, you know, obviously with your friends, that's great. But, um, I was always more interested in things that you do to challenge yourself and like challenge your, your own body in a very like individual way. So with skateboarding, it's just you and, and that tool. Like, so you're pushing your body and trying to maneuver this board all on your own. And there's really no outside distractions. You can kind of do your own thing. And same thing with snowboarding and then diving. I mean, you're on a club team and you, sort of score points for the whole team in a way but it, it is very individual it's you and your body on that board and and what you can make yourself do and so i always found those types of sports that just a little bit more um appealing mm. and we, we've spoken a little bit about travel and and as you mentioned in in 2011 you you took up high diving and uh then joined the red bull series in 2012 w when did you make that decision to to take up that sport what why did you make that decision well, long story long, uh, I guess, you know, you spend an entire lifetime acquiring new skills. So I started mm. at the age of seven, um, all the way up through, you know, university. Here I am in China in 2000, just coming home from China in 2010, um, where I got a bunch of high diving experience. And at the end of the day, I have such a passion for the sport that you spend so long acquiring skills that are really you know, useless outside of the world of diving and, and you're not ready to let that go yet sometimes. And there are avenues to keep pursuing that passion. And so, um, when I came home from China, I had a buddy tell me that, you know, Red Bull was having an open tryout in 2011. And, um, yeah, just as a commitment to like my, my pure love for the sport, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take this next step. I'm going to challenge all these skills that I have acquired. You know what I mean? Like really put them to the ultimate test. And and 
cliff diving and high diving is absolutely the ultimate test of um, your your skill of diving. So, um, I, yeah, I made that jump. I, I tried out in 2011, and I've just uh, been doing it ever since. Mm. And it's 27 meters. Certainly, that that's what you won the, the world title with. And normally, it's say what 10 meters for for normal uh, diving in a in a pool or an Olympic level. Uh, how much scarier is that? It's it's terrifying. Oh my gosh, it's terrifying every time. And I can't I can't imagine a single person that competes stepping up there and not you know everybody's scared. If you ask anyone, they're they will say they're scared. If they're not, they're lying. Um, I mean, it's, it's terrifying and you have to, you have to respect that. I think, you know, that's kind of what gets a lot of us by is that we understand our fear and it's a very rational fear. Um, you can get very hurt, but we all respect that. And, and that helps sort of keep you in the right mind frame. Um, I always say, especially when it comes to fear with high diving, you have to keep your fear in a healthy level. And, and this applies to a lot of sports. If you're overly nervous, Maybe you're, you're not thinking clearly and you're going to do something stupid and yeah, you'll probably get hurt. If you're too confident and you don't respect the dangers involved with what you're doing, you're also likely to do something stupid and get hurt. So it's just very important to maintain your, your level of fear when you're facing those types of challenges. How do you do that, Stephen? Are there any processes that you go through? It's, it's definitely a learning process. Um, like anything, it, it takes practice. Um, the, the problem is it's hard to simulate that kind of fear. <laughs> uh, we don't have a Japanese platform. There's, there's a permanent 27-meter platform in the world at the moment, and it's in Austria. So it's accessible three months out of the year while we're already competing. So it's really not a huge help, but it, it, it's great to have, obviously. So it's hard to sort of simulate that fear in the off-season. Um, so really just a lot, a lot of mental and visualization work, really trying to picture everything about a dive and, and sort of making myself nervous on purpose, thinking about it. You know, you're, you know, when you think about something, your, your hands get sweaty and your heart sort of speeds up. I sort of force my, myself to go through that process. I force my body into that. And then I sort of practice calming myself down. So I'll think of um, a trigger that helps sort of bring me back down so I can kind of get my heart rate regulated and um, get my thoughts straight. So it it just takes a lot of practice. If if you don't mind me asking, what is your trigger? What what are some of the things which you think about to help calm you down? No, I don't mind you asking at all. Um, so for me personally, um, when I step onto a platform and you you recognize the beauty in it, um, you're you're standing in a spot that only a handful of people in the world are privy to. You're you're competing in a sport that, you know, maybe 35 people in the world can do spent an entire lifetime kind of building up to that. And there's, I have a really like Zen moment on the platform where all this stuff sort of comes together where there's, you know, 25, 50, 75,000 people in the crowd. And, you know, they're there to watch this thing, this art that we're doing, if you will. And so for me, that all sort of calms me down. And I really try to just embrace, the the beauty in it and recognize how fortunate we are to to do what we love um in some of the most amazing beautiful locations you'll see in the world and that sort of helps center me and and bring me back to where i need to be Mm. which location has been your favorite to dive at oh man 
I got to say Thailand. Um, we went to Thailand in 2013 and we, we did a couple different locations in, in Krabi and Pipidon. And um, I mean, just breathtaking out there. It's, it's beautiful. Mm, yeah a lovely part of the world i've, I've been to phuket a couple of times uh, yeah it's, it's okay and awesome. excellent food as well oh i love it you are a fan of spicy food was that yeah yeah so i, I enjoyed thailand quite a bit oh Fantastic. I'm, I want to talk a, a little bit more about uh, diet and food in a moment, but just while we're we're on on the topic of of the the high diving, and as you mentioned, there's only one place in the world to train in Austria, so you're having to dive off platforms, which I'm guessing are, are ten meters. How can that help you? technically practice and, and in some ways uh, i also want to move on to to something which you're famous for is being the, the one man who was able to do five somersaults and i think it was a half a twist uh, in in a in a dive and that requires real innovation how can you do that when you're not training on a 27 meter platform right no fair question um and there is quite a bit that goes into it um I guess first and foremost, a lot of people sort of can paint us as like adrenaline junkies. We're going up, we're doing this thing, and we're all just chasing the adrenaline when, you know, in reality, it couldn't be farther from the truth. A lot of what we do is very cold and calculated. And what I always say is the the adrenaline is a side effect. Um, it, it's going to happen. But what we do leading up to that moment is very calculated. And we will spend months training in a pool from 10 meters or, you know, there are other training apparatus, or apparatus to use. And um, I think... You know, what you have to do is a lot of mental work goes into it as well, because if you're up on 10 meter, you can do perhaps the first gymnastic portion of the dive. So let's say, for example, um, we're going to do back three somersaults with three twists. What I would do is go to 10 meter and I would do one dive and it would be back two somersaults with two and a half twists. And then I would go up and I would just do a front somersault with a half twist. So over the course of two repetitions, I've done the whole dive. And then it's up to me to mentally piece everything together. Mm. So, so yeah, a lot of times what will happen is you can break a dive into two or three different repetitions and then practice those three things. And then mentally you have to be able to put it together and, and trust that when you're on the 27-meter platform, the, the takeoff, when you exit and leave the platform, it has to be the same as what you're training on 10 meters. So there's a lot of mental work that goes into it. In terms of innovation and creating and, and how we can work towards bigger dives is, um, for example, they have belts um, on a harness system that would sit over a five-meter platform, and you could, you know, with someone's assistance, potentially do an unlimited amount of somersaults and, and just practice in a safe manner exiting the rotations um, at the right time into the water. So there's a ton of different training tools we have. Um, and a lot of it just comes down to, to putting in the work physically first and foremost, and then mentally, obviously, you have to piece everything together as you go. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. The conversation with Steve continues in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to tell you about one of today's sponsors. And before I tell you that... If you want to be a sponsor on this Best in the World with Richard Parr podcast, send me an email, sportsdesk at sportachino.com. That's sportsdesk 
at sportachino.com. Just title it sponsorship or sponsorship for podcast, something like that. I'm, I'm sure I'll work out which email it is. And just think, we have an audience here which are interested in high performance, in sports, in Olympics, in world championships. And if you believe that your brand has good synergy with this, get in touch. I'm sure that we can do something great together. Today's sponsor is Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. They've got over 180,000 titles for you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. I've most recently been listening to Brave New World by Guillaume Balaguet. It's basically a biography of Maurizio Pochettino, the Tottenham manager, throughout the season in 2016 to 2017. I really recommend that you take a listen to it. It's incredible to get this real insight into how a team operates throughout a season. Go and listen to that for free. You can do that by going to audibletrial.com forward slash best. Audible will give you a 30-day free trial to test out their service. That includes one free audiobook download. Perhaps it's Brave New World by Guillaume Balagate. Go and check it out. All right, let's return to the conversation with the high-diving world champion, Steve LeBou. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. We've touched on the mental side um, quite a bit, but what was going through your mind in the moments after you uh, hit your head back in in La Rochelle in in 2015 when you were um, trying a a dive there? Just tell us a little bit about that and also what was going through your mind afterwards. Yeah, dude, I'm infamous for that (laughs) platform hit. Uh, Aren't you called the Miracle Man now, Steve? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah... (laughs) They like their nicknames. Uh, no, it was honestly, it was a very, very scary moment um, when things like that happen. It, it's very quick. Um, and I never reflect that moment. And basically, my my overall analysis is just that um, I let I let my fear get out of a comfortable range. And I do have some bad habits, obviously from my diving career. Like I was never, like I said, not Olympic material. So I do have some bad habits that can create um, dangerous situations like that. And, and I had been working to correct those, but I think once, you know, like I said, I let my fear sort of get out of that level, man, I, I, I did what's called hipping in. So I jumped too close to the platform and I ended up hitting my just above left eye and, uh, managed to land in the water safely after falling 90 feet. And then, you know, like I said, everything happens really quickly. The scariest part of all of that for me was in two weeks from that exact moment, I had to do it again in the next competition. There's no withdrawing or, you know, in my mind, there's no withdrawing or or doing something different like that was, I had to get up and do it again. So that was a little bit more taxing on me than the actual accident. And how how was the actual landing in the water? Because I I can, uh, I've heard that if you don't, dive in uh cleanly into the water it can actually be really painful from that height it can um i think you know under those circumstances maybe if i had done just that entry on its own i may have been a little rattled i don't know that would have had any injury per se just from that mm. um 
there's always sort of potential for like a, a torn or pulled muscle or like even a strain. Um, but you know, when something like that happens, uh, I think my adrenaline immediately went up. I managed to, to guide myself to the water relatively safely, I think. And, um, so at that point I was just so kind of jacked up on adrenaline. The entry was, uh, sort of a moot point <laughs> <laughs> yeah the adrenaline probably running through your veins so we mentioned food spicy food well what's your favorite thing to eat then steven oh that's a loaded question and i <laughs> i love food uh i think i'm i'm perpetually just a little bit out of shape because i love food and, and i'm okay with that like <laughs> if you know if if being world champion for years to come meant i had to give up food then i would settle for a second or third place and take the food <laughs> well now you are world champion you can eat whatever you want <laughs> that's right yeah no i um you know i i'm i don't maintain any particular diet per se but i do try to control portion size just be smart with with what i'm eating nothing crazy all the time you know i, I don't mind once a week having you know nachos or pizza or whatever but uh uh i guess thai food man i really like thai food and japanese food so big fan of sushi and um curries and things like that mm. can you handle your spice uh i like to think so yeah i'm i'm always willing to try something um uh, spicy and i guess you know it's important to have flavor though you know what i mean if it's just burning the tongue out of your mouth for no reason then uh, i don't see too much point in that but i i do enjoy a good spice like if it's a good tasty curry and it's got some heat on it uh i'm all for it i like when you know my hair starts sweating <laughs> there's a place not too far away from me which does spicy chicken wings and they've got this one spice called the viper and what they'll do is you can you can order eight different chicken wings and one of them is the viper but you don't know which one it is so it's called a snake in the basket (laughs) and i i had it once and i i didn't think i'd be able to speak for about 10 15 minutes and i thought the pain would never go away but i've been in that um that bar restaurant since and i've seen people crying <laughs> just water yeah. tearing from Maybe their eyes too much <laughs> uh but the, apart from that they're actually delicious so <laughs> i always end up going back there but yeah it's it, oh, even, even when you think you can handle spice sometimes there's always something around the corner which uh, can catch you out yeah, no, I fully, fully agree. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your your family, Stephen. And uh, in in 2016, you you became a father. Congratulations! How did that affect your you. your your life as as a high diver at all? Uh, it man, it was interesting. It was very different than I expected, and I think that's why you know if I just maybe had a little less expectation and just kind of played it by ear and let it flow. I think it would have been all right. But I think I was expecting to have this overwhelming feeling of like pressure on my shoulders to provide, um, you know, and I I imagine anyone that has a family or, you know, 90% of the people that have a family feel the same way. You know, am I going to be able to provide for my family? Can I feed them and keep a roof over the head? And um, those are very normal fears, I think in, in daily life. So when when my daughter came along, actually, it was quite the opposite. I felt very relieved, um, and I, in years past, I've been quite concerned with my my overall like 
positioning because it is um, it's prize money on a sliding scale. So how well you do directly affects how much money you make and how much you know you're able to provide for your family in turn. So I had put a lot of pressure on myself in the past, but it had, like I said, quite the opposite effect where it was it was very freeing. Where like I, cliff diving was almost a vacation from <laughs> from being a dad of a toddler of an infant. So I kind of went there and was like, you know what? Even if this all ended right now, I have something more important in my life that is going on and, and something that I can take care of. So, uh, it was, like I said, very freeing. It sort of relieved a lot of that pressure for me. So obviously now traveling as he's getting older is, is getting a little more difficult because she realizes I'm gone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just having a daughter and how that really affected, um, you know, my life and, and the sport in general, um, all, all positive stuff. And I'm sure in those, uh, uh, future years she'll be watching you on youtube or on on the rebel website going oh d- there's daddy <laughs> yeah i hope so i hope so yeah i don't want to i don't want to be a lifer uh in the sport obviously the the you can't do it forever it takes quite a toll on the body but um yeah i've got a good few years left and and just gonna put everything i have into it and hopefully have a couple more successful seasons and and uh man i'd love to take her to an event i took her to texas uh this past year but she not quite there like in terms of, of recognizing what's going on so maybe in another year or so we'll get her out to a cool location mm. and your wife was also a very talented diver so does that mean there's going to be a, another talented diver in the family then <laughs> <laughs> we'll see she definitely loves uh i i throw her around and flip her around a lot um she loves swimming class uh you know if she wants to do it, that's cool. I'm I'm going to sit by and, and let her go. But uh, I just wanted her to be in, in some sort of sport. I think, you know, most parents, same thing, just kind of want her to be active, whatever she chooses. Obviously, we'll be fine with that. But yeah, I think we'll definitely give diving a try. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let, let, let's round this interview up where we began. Let's let's talk about Budapest. Tell me about how that that whole experience went for you and and also um was there anything different about this event and the preparation you did in certain things which happened that was perhaps different to say other events at all well looking back and i like i said i've done a ton of reflection on on this event in particular um it was this event was at the end of july so it was for us we had been on the road competing on Red Bull and some other competitions the whole month of July. So every single weekend we had a competition and it was interesting because this was the last competition. Everyone was a little sore, a little beat up, but, but pretty comfortable at least with the the height, like feeling more comfortable after you do it, you know, a little bit in a row, you start to loosen up a little bit. Um, so I was at least feeling really good mentally. And yeah, it, it's interesting because I compete against all the same guys throughout the whole year. And I'm, I'm sort of a roller coaster type guy. I can do really well, or I can not even, you know, make finals. It just depends on the, the day. Um, and I just remember coming in that second day and feeling really good about everything mentally. I was in a good position, um, you know, in the competition. So I just felt like I was sort of in a position to kind of take control and, yeah, it's weird, man. And a lot of athletes can tell you, especially the elite ones, there's something about like, you know, you hear people say getting in the zone. Um, and it's really hard to replicate. Like when it happens, it just happens and you sort of feel it and things just sort of 
go their way and it's all very natural. And, and that's how I felt. I was sort of outside of myself watching everything happen. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty cool experience. And it was nice to, to get a win, obviously, in, in what was the most important competition of the year. We have touched on getting in the zone with a few of our other guests before. Um, have you had that experience any other time in your career? I have, definitely, yeah. There's been times, too, where, um, you know, I've had a couple victories on tour. That obviously sets in there. And then there's even times when you don't win, but, like, maybe just it comes together for you and you do, you know, pretty well. There are times when you kind of get in the zone, whether it's for the whole competition or not. But, yes, I have had experiences with that feeling. Um, and, yeah, if if we knew how to replicate it, obviously, there would be a ton of really great athletes in the world. But it comes <laughs> and goes as it does. And, uh, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully, if I keep doing this podcast and keep speaking to you world and Olympic champions, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to find out exactly how it's done. <laughs> but uh, it's, Yeah, we'll find out that common denominator there. <laughs> hopefully one day. Well, Stephen, it's been really good to speak to you and to learn from you and hear about all of your amazing career. Uh, just before you go, can you let us know where we can continue to follow your journey online or if there's anything else you'd like to mention? Fantastic. And thank you very much. I appreciate um, all the time here. Um, you can follow my personal page on um, Instagram or Twitter at Ive Labou. And um, yes, yeah, Stephen Labou on Facebook. And then if you want to follow along with the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series, you can go to redbullcliffdiving.com. Um, they have all the latest info on all the divers competing in the World Series, as well as um, some of the wild cards. And you can kind of look back on video and familiarize yourself with the sport. If you haven't checked it out yet, I recommend that. Also, you can follow USA Cliff Diving, which is, um, you know, the four USA guys kind of banded together. And we've got a, a good thing going. We're kind of generating a lot of content. So if you're just interested in hanging out and watching some cliff diving, that's a good one, too. Mm, superb it's definitely one of the best sports i think to watch visually uh what you guys do is incredible and it's been incredible speaking to you Stephen. thank you for being on the program and thank you for being the best in the world no problem at all thank you the best in the world podcast with richard parr great to talk to steve on the podcast Steve's not the only high diver that we've had on this program. Gary Hunt has been on this podcast. Maybe go back and listen to that episode. We've had a few swimmers on as well. Nathan Adrian's been on the podcast. Natalie Coughlin. They're all in the back catalogue. Plus, we did talk about fear with Steve. And Casper Steinfaff was on the program only a few weeks ago. Go and listen to that podcast. He is a paddleboard world champion with an excellent insight on the topic of fear. Go and check that out. They're all available at Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Acast, on Podbean, and of course at sportachino.com. All right, that's it for this week's podcast. I will be back next Thursday with another episode of The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.